uh, I want to say hello again and welcome. My name is Adam. I'm a pastor here, and uh, I'm just so glad that you joined us. It is good to be God's people together, to join together, not just to worship, not just to enjoy the fellowship, but also to be formed for mission, to be here, to hear the word of God, because he is risen, he is risen indeed, and that means that we've got a job to do. So we'll be talking about that more here in a moment. So uh, before we do that, I would invite you to pray with me. Maybe if you're like me, man, the last few Saturdays, I've just been running around um, just in the afternoons and in the mornings. So I like to, before we get into our time in the scriptures, to just take a deep breath Invite you to do the same. Maybe close your eyes if you'd like to do that. And pray these little sentences, breathing in, breathing out, with me. This first one, you'll see it here on the screen. Let's just invite you to pray this way. Abba, which means like daddy or papa, father. Abba, I belong to you. Let's see that here on the screen, these prayers. Then we invite you to pray, um, Jesus. I live in you or I abide in you, and then spirit, I walk with you. These will be here on the screen, but for now, we invite you to pray. Abba, I belong to you. Just silently where you sit. And now, Jesus, I abide in you. And if we are in Jesus, we know that the Spirit dwells within us. So I invite you to pray this way. Spirit, I walk with you. Lord, hear our prayers. May we draw near to you. May we see that you are good that you are making beautiful things out of us, that you long to be with us, you're longing to be gracious to us, you love us more than we could ask or imagine, and we are alive because Jesus is alive. And as Paul says, we live and move and have our being in him. So we pray that we would have vision to see that, to see that new life. We pray that we would do so in our moments together this evening. We pray all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, would you grab a Bible if you don't have one? And I'd invite you to turn to Acts that's in the New Testament, uh, just a few books in. Uh, chapter 9, the book of Acts, chapter 9. I'm going to read uh, a passage of Scripture from this uh text, this book, and it's not going to be on the screen, so I'd invite you to turn there or swipe there if it's on your phone, Acts chapter 9. We are in a new series we just started last week called Risen, and it is about living life in the risen Christ. Basically, I'll put it this way, Easter happened, now what? Okay? Last week we talked about with a big finale at the Super Bowl, they run up to the Super Bowl MVP and they say, hey, so-and-so, you just won the Super Bowl, what are you going to do next? What do they say? I'm going to Disney World. Well, let me tell you something, folks, there ain't no Disney World for us as long as we're here and breathing. Jesus is alive and we have a job to do, to live in Him, in His power, because Easter opened a whole new realm of possibilities 
God's new creation burst forth, and we who are in Jesus are a part of that. So we're looking these next several weeks, because Easter's not just a day, Easter's a season, and it's a great time to remember that we are alive in Him. And so each week we're looking at scenes in the book of Acts, which is what Luke says, all that Jesus began to do in Luke, He continues to do through His people in Acts. And we believe, we're so crazy to believe, that Jesus is still on the move, still at work, even in little old us. You with me? You in Acts chapter 9? You with me there? Follow along as I read this. Beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Quick pause. Luke had mentioned this cat Saul before, and he was persecuting the church. So he says, Saul went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. And he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has just seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. <laughs> Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord, and we are grateful. So this, what we've just read is probably the most famous conversion, maybe in the world. Certainly Christianity, certainly the New Testament, 
but it is incredibly famous. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, loves this conversion because this dude wrote it three times. Y'all see up here? Luke tells this story, or rather tells us that Paul told that story three times in his book. The one we just read, then we get a few more details in Acts chapter 22, and then finally in Acts chapter 26. And what's funny, if you caught it, Jesus was telling Ananias that this dude Saul was going to proclaim his name to Gentiles, kings, and to the people of Israel. And you know what's pretty awesome? When you see Acts 22, Paul gets up in front of a bunch of people from Israel and Gentiles that are angry, and it's a mob, and he proclaims the name of Jesus. He also said that he's going to talk about Jesus to kings. Acts chapter 26, he stands in front of the king and tells him this story that we just read. Luke loves this story. We love the story because it's wild. It's dramatic. It's powerful. And it's also unusual, I think. How many of you had been killing people, rounding them up, and just zealous and some kind of religious zealous? Raise your hand because I'm going to ask you to leave. I'm scared of you <laughs> because I'm a religious person and you may be after me. No, this is an unusual story. It's dramatic. It's powerful. But you know what? Sometimes these things happen. When I think about a conversion like this, where Paul, or Saul, before he was named Paul, sees the risen Jesus, and he's never the same. I, before I came to Providence, was at a large church in a lower middle class area, okay? We had a clothes closet, we had a medical dental clinic, we did a lot of kind of social work in the community. And so one of the things that when I got there as a young adult pastor, I had had some experience going through a 12-step program, the Celebrate Recovery program. And so when we got there, it just seemed like, man, there's all this need. We had all these relationships with people who were struggling and were darkened and oppressed by addiction or hurts or hang-ups or just habits that were destructive. So when I came to this church, we started to celebrate recovery, which is a Christian 12-step. And so what happened was the first week, we had like 60 folks from our church, and they're all the nice white church folk, okay? And it was a multi-ethnic church, so we had all the nice any-color folk, right? And they were just nice, and they were supporting little Adam, who's starting this new ministry. And then I start talking about how, hey, my name is Adam, and you've got to say this and that and the other. You know, I'm recovering from this, and we're going to have to get real about our hurts, our hang-ups, our habits, our stories. And then guess what happened next week? Did I see 60 people, nice church folk? No, I didn't. I saw like six people, and my wife was one of them, so that doesn't really count. So then... I said, well, this is a problem. So we had a relationship with a men's halfway house in South Dallas. We also had, around the corner, a women's rehab facility. So because I'm 25 and stupid and just zealous, not like Saul, but zealous for people to see the risen Jesus, I think, you know what? We need to get a bus from that rehab center, and we need to get a bus from that place there. We need to pick these people up, and I need to be the only staff person there from about 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. on a huge facility, and I need to go troll around like an old-school janitor making sure that everybody's in their rooms for recovery. Because we needed to bring these people in. We needed to make sure that they were hearing the gospel. But we didn't really need to make sure of that. We just wanted to give them a safe place to tell their story. And so what happened is every week, if you've been around 12 steps, people say their testimonies. People say their stories of how God rescued them or their higher power rescued them. 
So every other week, people would get up and they would tell incredible stories of what God had done. And this is so powerful because it's not what they had done. Because whether it's Saul's story or their story, we find more often than not, every time actually, Jesus seeks these people before anybody want to go and seek Jesus. And so one story I'll never forget, we'll call this woman Kathy. 25 years ago, she's addicted to meth. She's an alcoholic. She is just in a bad way. She'd been in abusive relationships. She had become the product of a dark family circle, and she was just dying. And so what she did 25 years ago, she tells a story about going to a tanning salon. And she hops in the tanning bed, and she's kind of, you know, dozing in the tanning bed. And she begins to think about her friend who had just died of an overdose a day or two before. And she tells this story powerfully about how she's in this tanning bed, and as she's kind of drifting off, she has this vision of her friend, and he is telling her, you have got to find Jesus. You have got to find Jesus. And she's like, I'm in a tanning bed. I don't see Jesus in here. So what this woman does, she's freaked out because it's some kind of vivid dream or something she describes having. She throws open the tanning bed. She runs. She's in Mesquite, Texas, and she knocks on the one church she finds, and there is one light on, and there is one little old man there who's 75 years old, some deacon who came to take out the trash, and she says, I've got to find Jesus. And so he says, well, uh, I think he's here. Let's pray and let's find him. From that moment on, this is incredible. For 25 years, she said God took her addictions from her. She never touched meth or alcohol or any drugs again. This is a dramatic and unusual and powerful story. We love these kind of stories. So when we're sitting here with the men from South Dallas and the women from around the corner in this rehab center, we have to remind them, praise God for this. And this story drew so many people to God. But we also go and meet with the other people who said, you know what, I grew up in church my whole life, and I don't really remember a life in which I was just totally off the rails in addictions, or, you know, I never really felt like I was dead or dying of my sin. What do we say to them? Well, I'll tell you what they told me. My story's just not that big. My story's just not that important. And I began to see, 25 years old, in this church, so far over my head, but loving these people and being loved by them and encouraged by them, I began to see that, you know what, whether it's Kathy's story or whether it's Adam's story or your story, every story is a powerful story of God bringing you from death to life. Whether you were in the tanning bed or the quiet of your bedroom when you were a little child, the circumstances may change, but the power in the conversion is always there. Why? Because you're always seeing in some way, maybe not in a vision, but you're always seeing Jesus for who he is. Jesus, I need you to rescue me. Jesus, I need you to save me. Jesus, I need you. I want to follow you. I'm in love with you. Every one of your stories, if you are in Christ, started and you can draw it back to that moment. And it may have been quiet, it may have been a whisper, it may not have been a vision. You may never have a vision, and that's okay. You may never touch a crack pipe. Praise God. Thank Him for it. Don't want a story so bad that you got to go off the rails. 
Because every story is a powerful story. Because every story is a story of getting a vision of the risen Jesus and it brings you from death to life and you see everything in a new light. This week we were talking about these stories in our missional community. Because last week we started this series and I said, you know what? This guy that we meet tonight, Saul, talks about the resurrection of Jesus 53, that's five, three times in his letters in this Bible. It's a big deal. But there are six times, we read them last week, if you missed last week, that's okay. You can see them in our little, uh, online in our podcast, our little info. Write those six verses down, you see them on our website. Because it's not just the resurrection of Jesus. Paul was so convinced that when Jesus died, we died. That when Jesus was raised, we were raised with him. What is up with that? There must be something powerful at work when we catch a vision of the risen Jesus. Look at just one of those verses I just mentioned. Uh, It's in Ephesians. It's on the screen. Ephesians 2, 4-7. We were talking with people in our missional community saying, I didn't have a crazy story like that. But then someone in our community said, you know what? I grew up knowing Jesus my whole life. But you know what? Whether I knew it or not, I was in a world that was dead, that was dying from sin, death, and shame. And so my story, everyone's story, She read this passage in Ephesians 2. But because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Y'all just sit there. God ain't poor in mercy. He's rich in mercy. This God made us alive with Christ. Now watch. Because you had a wheels off story and you cleaned up your life first. Because you went to church and you did all the right things. Because your mom and your dad drug you to church every week. No. He made us alive even when we were dead. Dead people can't do anything. But he made us alive. Even when we were dead in transgressions or sins. Because it's by grace you've been saved. Jesus seeks us before we ever seek him. Now catch this. Not just have you been made alive. Watch this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, the new creation that was blown open by the resurrection, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Jesus has brought us, made us alive, brought us to the arms of the Father, so that for the endless ages to come, the life that Jesus has given us, we can sit at Abba's lap by his knee, And he will tell us for ages to come how much he is crazy about you. When you were dead and didn't deserve a thing. I don't care if you grew up in church or you never sniffed church until you were 60 years old. You were dead and you've been made alive. The circumstances may be different, but every conversion is powerful. Why? Because you catch a vision of the risen Jesus and God's incredible grace shown to us in him. That's what he says at the end of this passage. This grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is what we're after. This is what we've got to catch hold of. So why is tonight's called vision? What is the characteristic that we see in this church living in the living Christ? We've got to keep before us a vision that says we are alive in Christ. Y'all say this with me. My name, say, say I am so-and-so. I am, I am Adam. I am one in whom Christ dwells. 
I am one in whom Christ dwells. If this is you, whether you're Saul on the road to Damascus, whether you're Kathy in a tanning bed, you've got to keep before you, stay awake to the vision that you are in him, you've been raised to new life, and so everything now has changed. We're talking about vision tonight because when you get this, when you keep this vision focused, it's like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz and everything goes from black and white where the world looks black and white and gray and you have no hope and you don't know what to do with death. All of a sudden you go from Dorothy in black and white and you see the risen Jesus and you catch a vision that there is technicolor in this world and that death no longer has the final say. Sin in your life no longer has the final say. Satan and the oppressive systems of this world, the oppressive illnesses in our bodies no longer has the final say because even Satan and death will die. The resurrection Jesus shows us that all things are possible. The new beginning, the new creation has come, and we are caught up with it. Don't believe me? This guy Saul catches a vision of the risen Jesus, and he says this. When he was out persecuting the church and breathing threats, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. You are a part of the new creation, even Paul. The old is gone. And that is good news because Paul or Saul's oldness was pretty gnarly. Look back with me in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul, this is this guy that we've been talking about. We've been reading all these beautiful things he said. But here's Saul before he caught a vision of the risen Jesus. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That word there is like he's a warthog and he's snorting and he's angry. He's a religious zealot. And he's going to get these Christians. Luke had mentioned him before in Acts chapter 8. Saul was the dude when Stephen was stoned to death for confessing and following and preaching Jesus. Saul stood there breathing out venom and hatred for these new followers of this failed king, he says, Jesus, who was crucified. So Saul wasn't just approving of Stephen's stoning in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 9, where we're at, he's going to get the warrant to go dog the bounty hunter on these dudes, and he's going to take a 190-mile-plus journey. You with me? you got to hate somebody to walk 190 miles. Even if you're on a donkey, you can't tell me that that's a nice ride, 190 miles. He gets warrants to go dog the bounty hunter. Why? You see this? He wants to go to the synagogues in Damascus. Damascus. Already Christianity has spread from Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, just like Jesus said, these guys are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then watch, Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. These people wasted very little time. Boom. Saul pushes a lot of them out, but he's going to go track them down in Damascus. So that if you found any there who belong to the way, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners Back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, back to keep religious order. Y'all see what they called Christianity? What Luke just called it? Do y'all see that? You're looking at me, not your Bibles. The way. Y'all with that? The way? Isn't that so cool? They're not called Christians yet. They belong to the way. And I think that's so cool because one of the things we've been saying and one of the things that's a problem 2,000 years later is we've so domesticated and watered down the way of Jesus, we call it Christianity. This is my religion. I am a Christian. I put it on my tax and census forms. 
But for them, it was the way. These people weren't known by what they believed. They were known by how they lived. This is what we said last week. Christianity. Christianity. The way. This is on the screen. Is not just something to be believed, but it's something to be lived. And like we said earlier, your life is now a part of the new creation that has come and is to come. It's not just what you say, it's how you live. That's what tipped Saul off to these people. These were the people feeding the poor and carousing with sinners, having parties in the name of Jesus, and he was out to get them. So he's going to Damascus proud and loud and angry. And then what happens? Y'all with me? Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this is powerful. If you thought that all this talk of being with Christ in death, with Christ in resurrection, is just some kind of metaphysical heavenly thing, when Stephen was stoned, Jesus himself here says, it wasn't just Stephen being persecuted. It was as if Jesus himself was being stoned and persecuted. Jesus so identifies so early on and so closely that Saul wasn't just persecuting these people, he was persecuting Jesus himself. Our friends, brothers and sisters, being persecuted in the difficult places, whether it's in the, the uh, jungles of South America or the deserts of the Middle East, Jesus is so near to them, so close to them, so in them and they in him, that he is strengthening them and he is also dying with them in some way. When Saul is persecuting them, when Saul is persecuting the church, it's the body of Christ. They are literally affecting Jesus. Your life, if you ain't getting persecuted at work, or whatever you want to say, your life, your job is his job. Your life and your family is his life. We say all the time in this church, Providence folk will, re will repeat after me and mumble and grumble with a nice church voice, we are called to be like Jesus, right? To live like Jesus. Learn from Jesus. I tricked you. To be like Jesus. To learn from Jesus. How to be like Jesus. To be with Him. To learn from Him. How to be like Him. To choose to do what He would do if He were in your shoes. And when He's persecuted, Saul wasn't just persecuting these people. He's after. after. He's persecuting Jesus Himself. So, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now, before you say, wow, that was fast. Saul already got it. He must have recognized Jesus from his beard. What he's probably saying is, who are you, sir? Because he's super freaked out because what? A light from heaven flashed around him. So he's freaking out and he's saying, um, yes, sir, I'm here. I see you sort of in the light. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. So... What he sees now and what is starting to sink in and he's got this sick feeling because the Jesus that he's been persecuting wasn't just resurrected from the dead like these people in the way are saying, nor was he off in heaven on some cloud after the ascension like these people who belong to the way were saying. 
He is still somehow active and involved, and not just here in this world, but right up close and personal in this face of this person. And he says, not, you got some splaining to do. Jesus says this, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, what happens in that moment is two things. The first is this. Resurrection vision lets us see God as he truly is. And God, as he truly is, is revealed in the image of Jesus. Paul will later say, and I think he had this story of his in mind, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Leave that up there for just a minute. Resurrection vision lets us see God as he truly is. Let me tell you something. You don't have to belong to another religion that doesn't claim to follow or believe in Jesus to not understand who God is. You can be a Christian and have grown up in this church and you can think that God is angry and out to get you. You can be a Christian, I've heard it so many times, even going back further than my Celebrate Recovery days, I worked with some youth folk, and one youth, I promise you this is true, came up to me, a sophomore in high school, dad was a deacon in the church, grew up in this church, he came up and he said, Adam, I've got a really important question to ask you. He is panicked, he's crying, and he comes up to me and he says, is it true that when I get to heaven, God will whip me for every curse word I've said. This poor dude went to church every Sunday and thought God was not only out to get him, he was out to whip him because he is a sophomore in high school and he rapped all the time and he cussed all the time. You know what I said to him? I put my arm around him. I said, brother, God loves you. He is for you. There is no condemnation. So go and cuss all you F. I did not say that. I'm just kidding. We need to understand that you can belong to this place and you can live your whole life working for God. You can go and worship God. But I want to tell you that God wants you to fall in love with Him. God wants to see you on your knees enraptured and in love with Jesus and see that his arms are embracing you and you need a conversion if you think God is out to get you. You need a conversion if the sin in your life is more powerful a Lord than Jesus who defeated that sin. If you live and die every time you blow it or every time you cuss like my man sophomore in high school, fear and sin is your Lord, not Jesus. Because what Paul says also, this ain't on the screen, I didn't think I want to say it, but I want to say it now. Colossians 2, every single sin nailed to the cross. And Jesus not only nailed the sin there, Colossians 2, sin and death and Satan, Satan and his minions, he triumphed in open shame and said, you can no longer accuse this. There's no more condemnation for those who's in Christ Jesus. Saul needed a change of perspective. The Yahweh he had followed and served and killed in the name of got a hold of him and shifted that vision. It's like he was looking at a telescope and he was seeing some kind of shadowy distortion of who he saw and who he believed God to be. 
But in the light of the risen Christ, everything went to technicolor. He was beholding Jesus. Did y'all catch our prayer that we read tonight? Because I didn't pick this text arbitrarily. It's part of a cycle of readings used in many denominations. The prayer tonight was this. It says, open our eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work. Why do we say be with Jesus to learn for Jesus? We want you to behold Jesus. We want you to see him, to savor him, to, 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 to try to, in your imagination, get after him and see him to be more beautiful than you ever imagined or heard. But don't take my word for it. Do what Saul did. Get up, go to the city, and wait for him to get to you. You with me still? Let's look at verse 7. We've got a little bit of time and ways to go, okay? So, the men traveling with Saul, presumably other dudes to carry back these Christians, they're standing there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Basically, they see some flashing light. They're all knocked down on the ground, but they're not hearing the words, evidently, that Saul is hearing. But they are freaked out enough to scuttle and make that last leg without stopping to the Dairy Queen to Damascus. So, Saul gets up. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. That dude had been staring at the sun. Was that S-U-N or S-O-N? I don't even know. Just making sure you're awake. So they led him by hand into Damascus. This was so funny because Saul was going to lead these people in chains, and then he's going to be big, bad, and proud. Now he's getting carried in because he's blind, and everything he thought he knew has just been flipped upside down. They're carrying him in to Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. How would you feel? Imagine, I mean, like, the one, it's like when you're in the office and you're talking bad about somebody, and then, um, Cheryl? And then somebody taps you on the shoulder and you see, oh, here's this person I was just talking about. You are dumbfounded. You're struck. How did Saul feel? The crucified, cursed Messiah, he thought, is alive. And he's not only alive, he's also called him. He's told him that he's got a plan for him. Get up and go to the city. And you will be told what you must do. For three days, here's what I think is rattling around in his head. When Paul tells this story later in Acts, here it's up on the screen. He's telling these people, this is what Jesus said to me. Let's go to the next one I tricked you. I'm all over the map tonight. This is when Paul is talking to the king and he's telling them about this experience. We get a little more info of what Jesus said. This is what's rattling around in his head for three days. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then we get this other little thing. It is hard for you to kick against these goads. Goads are like spears or sticks that you use to break a wild animal, to tame a wild animal. I think what's going on there is Jesus had been seeking Saul in his hostility and rage before Saul ever got a whiff of seeking Jesus. And Jesus had been trying to get after him, and Saul had been kicking against it. So then he says, Who are you, Lord? Here's what Jesus says. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. 
I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Watch this. I am sending you to them to open their eyes. You see that? He's telling this to a blind man who needs his own eyes opened. But he's sending them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. If Paul felt bad that Jesus is alive, that he's been persecuting, he is so confused now because Jesus wasn't out to get him. Jesus doesn't convert him. He's going to commission him. This is that slide here. Every conversion, whether you're Kathy in the tanning bed or you tonight, every conversion is a commission, okay? I don't care if you were eight years old and you just say, I love Jesus, and that set you on a journey with him for the rest of your life. I don't care if you were 48, every conversion is a commission. He's being sent. You have a job to do. Jesus is alive, and it is our life to know his life and to walk with him in that. That is the beginning of Saul's conversion. He sees the risen Jesus, and everything is technicolor. Everything is changed. Everything now in this world is seen through the lens that Jesus is alive, and he's got a job to do. You with me? So, He's there three days, blind, hungry, and thirsty, freaking out, trying to sort out what his world and life and job means now that he's encountered Jesus. Now, here's the next conversion. Y'all didn't think there was another conversion, did you? Well, here's the thing. We meet this guy, Ananias, who's like the dude that we never heard from before. He kind of steps out, and he kind of says, hello. And then he does his part beautifully, and then he steps back into the shadows. We never hear about Ananias again. But you know what? Take heart, folk. If you think I'm the introvert, I'm the one who's not up here preaching, singing, serving, doing this, that, or the other, every conversion is a commission. And there will be a moment where you are just asked led, compelled to do some kingdom work in some kingdom moment. It's dripping with potential. And if you do what you're called to do, know that Jesus is with you and who knows the ramifications it could have. Did Ananias have any clue that what he was doing was going to explode Christianity, not just to Jerusalem, Damascus, not just to the Israelites, but to all peoples in all the world for all time? All Ananias knew was Jesus meets him, the risen Jesus encounters him, and here's what it looks like. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. So here's another vision. Take heart if you've never had a vision. This is an unusual circumstance. So he gets to Ananias in a vision too. Jesus was just all about visions that day. Who knows? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go. Now here's his commissioning. Ready? Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Side note, Straight Street, still in Damascus. That's pretty wild, isn't it? You can go and drive on Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Quick pause. 
He's seen a vision of something that's not happened. Side note, Ananias has a choice. He can do it or he can not do it. Saul's praying and he sees a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him. But here's the tipping point. Introverts, people, I'm not big in the kingdom. I'm part of a little church in a little town in big Texas. Ananias has a choice and he's going to have to obey. But it's not easy for him. That's why he needs a conversion too. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here, I don't know if you knew this, Jesus, with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Guess what? Me, Ananias. You're asking me to turn myself in to the KGB. No thank you very much. Here's this moment. And this is another good thing. Take heart. Jesus is patient with us when we bicker and moan like a four-year-old. Even though that's the safe thing to do, he's got this worldly vision where the past of Saul informs his present. Surely this is a bad idea, but Jesus is patient. And he says this as we wind down to the end. The Lord said to Ananias, here's that word again, go. Third time in this passage, Jesus said go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, their kings, the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, here's another thing resurrection vision does when we see our lives and ourselves in light of Jesus. Ananias sees that he may be a part of something big. And resurrection vision lets us see our purpose in God's mission in the world. What Ananias has to do is go tell Saul that he gets a new job. And he's not going to arrest Gentiles. He's going to bring them into the fold because God wants them to. Resurrection vision lets us see our purpose, our jobs, your job. And you think this is a prestigious job, right? He's talking to kings. No, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Because here's the thing about our jobs when we go with Jesus. We aren't just united with him in his resurrection. We're also united with him in, our, in his death. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Those who bear the cross of Jesus will likely bear a cross from the world. And Paul is going to suffer greatly. But it's going to cause him, as we see as Saul grows into Paul, that it is his weakness and sufferings that he will boast about because it just reveals how strong Jesus is because they can't put him and his people down. This is all because the resurrection vision colors our world. Why should I be afraid of death? Paul will say in Romans 8, Should I fear nakedness, danger, persecution, famine, sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors. Because we're strong and bad? No. Through Him who loves us. And he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor principalities nor powers, nothing can ever separate us from the love God has for us in Christ Jesus. So he can go and face all sorts of danger and persecution and even death, but he can go to his death with a smile on his face years from now in jail because he knows that to depart and leave this earth is to be with Christ. That's what he says in Philippians. And on and on and on because this vision of the risen Jesus shaped and colored his whole life. 
And we need to stay awake to it. Our purpose, our job, our lives are in his hands, even when we suffer. So Ananias, that sold him on it. As we get down to the end, verse 17. Ananias went, just like Jesus said, to the house and he entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, placing his hands on the enemy who could turn around and kill him. Ananias has no idea what Jesus said is true, but he trusts him. He touches the enemy, and in Acts, every time somebody puts a hand on somebody, it's for a commission. It is for some kind of sending, some kind of power, some kind of job. When we ordain uh, elders, and we will probably be ordaining deacons this summer, brace yourself, church. Pray with us and sort it out. We're going to put our hands on them, and we're saying we're commissioning you, unleashing you for your purpose in the life of Christ in our church. And all the time in Acts, he's putting his hands on an enemy. He's putting his hands on to commission somebody. And what else is he going to say? He's putting his hands so that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts, when they put their hands on people, it was like they were connecting, watch, the Spirit of God to the family of God because the Spirit dwells within the church. What Ananias is doing is putting his hands on an enemy, commissioning this person who's seen there is in Jesus, and he's connecting the Spirit of God to the family of God because look what he says, Brother Saul. Saul may not have heard one word for three days, but then he hears brother. You think people, the Christians he met, were calling him brother before this point? I imagine that it wasn't just scales that fell from his eyes, but tears welling up because he's been welcomed into the family he's been trying to kill. Brother Saul. You know what distinguishes the way Christianity from all other religions in the world? This whole business of loving the enemy. It's easy to love your own, but it's very hard in its kingdom to love your enemy. Jesus loved his enemy. He loved the world. He loved Everyone trying to oppose him. When he was persecuted, he did not persecute in return. Rather than kill, he was killed. That's what distinguishes us. What distinguishes our family is that we would put our hands, not just on our enemies, but on all the people the world doesn't want to touch. I know we're a little church. But you know what? We're a church with incredible impact and incredible love. And each and every week, I see our people reaching out and touching those in need, those who have been unwelcome, those who don't know that they are loved by God, created in the image of God, and I see this church love each other like a family, and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Because resurrection vision lets us see our enemies as brothers and sisters. It lets our outcasts in our society be brothers and sisters. I think about the woman who is bleeding when she touched Jesus. Jesus stopped the crowd, and remember what he called her? Daughter. Your faith has healed you. This is so powerful. This is so Jesus. This is so kingdom to welcome these people as family. What would it look like this week if you had not just resurrection vision when you saw death and your suffering and your circumstances? What if you had resurrection vision where each person you saw, you put on some glasses like the Twilight Zone, and you didn't, they weren't x-ray glasses. They were image of God glasses. And you see that person who cuts you off, image of God. You see that person in front of you in line that, that has been rude and obnoxious, image of God. You see that family member you're on the outs with, image of God. You see that coworker that's difficult, image of God. 
created in the image. Maybe it's marred, maybe it's deflected, maybe it's distorted, but somewhere deep down, know that they're loved by God and they're wanted by Him when we reach out and touch them. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, He sent me so that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales, some scaly, gross crusties fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. Paul writes about baptism in Romans chapter 6. He says, don't you know? If you were baptized, you were buried with him in death. You were brought up in new life. Saul was baptized and the old was gone. The new has come. He walks out to be part of the new creation. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Elsewhere in Acts, Paul will tell us that somewhere in the Damascus wilderness in Arabia, he spends three years, okay? So Luke kind of just hits the highlights. But he's with these people in Damascus, and he's with Jesus in the wilderness for three years after his baptism. And that's presumably where Jesus is meeting with him so he can learn from him how to be like him. But he also learned it from these disciples. Resurrection vision lets us see our community as life-giving. Is this community drain you or does it empower you? I'm its pastor and I am very rarely if ever drained by this community. I am always encouraged and empowered even when things are broken and tough. We know that Christ is there with us. I hope that for you this community is life-giving. A lot of us have struggled because people have left because of so much transition and all this. And Amy and I have struggled because we've been a part of other churches and a lot of people leave and a lot of people leave for okay, good reasons. That's why we bring them down here. We pray for them. We bless them. Because I think sometimes a step out, and I hate to say this as a pastor of this church, maybe a step into somewhere else where they have more life, more place, because they've got some kind of baggage or some kind of issue or just some kind of change of scenery. Now, am I thrilled by it? No. But I, we need to reckon that we need to be involved in communities that give us life. Now, if you've got an issue, let life come and sort it out. Don't just leave because you're mad. But if you sense called to go and give your life somewhere else, go do it. As long as you know Jesus is in it, no hard feelings, and we can send you and bless you. That's the kind of people I like to see leave when they're going but for those of you here, I hope this community is life-giving for you. It is for me. And by the way, it's not just for takers, it's for givers. They need your life. We're not just about believing the gospel, we're about belonging to one another. Because Jesus is with us, and in order to get more of Jesus, you don't just need to go away to the desert, you need to go here with our people. You need to be somewhere on Wednesday night or Saturday afternoon with people. There is no Lone Ranger Christians in the church, period. To say that I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and not be connected to Jesus' body, well, I don't know what that is. So, I hope this is life-giving for you. Resurrection vision keeps us grounded with God's people. So at once, he was formed for mission. He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Totally reevaluated his whole life. Ananias' conversion 
was to see the purpose of Jesus so much bigger than he ever saw it. I think Ananias had some resurrection vision because he sees that God can use the most unlikely people, and I know that God can use us. So as we close, what does it look like to be like Paul, to be like Ananias, who are transformed by the vision of the risen Jesus? And how would you view yourself as one who's infinitely loved and raised with Christ? How would it change your view of yourself? How would it change your view of God to know that he's alive and you are alive in him? How would it change your view of your job, your calling? Yes, I'm behind a desk. Yes, I'm interacting with these people. But every interaction is an interaction dripping with kingdom potential. And these people in this moment are with me and I have light welling up within me that I would love to let shine. How would it change your view of your calling just like it did Paul's? How would it view, change your view of your enemies? To put your hands, the outcasts, the enemies, and say, brother, sister. They are brothers and sisters. There is no them. There's only us. How would it change your view of your community, your neighborhoods, all of this? Behold the risen Jesus, and may his light, just like Saul, strike you in such a dangerous and beautiful way that you see everything in the new light because new creation has come and you are swept up in it. So Lord, we say amen. And we say thank you for this time. Thank you for Saul's story. Thank you that Saul, the old is gone and the new has come and he becomes Paul who has so much to say about our life in you. But Lord, may this not just be something we hear or experience secondhand. May this be the reality of our lives as we live and breathe and move in you. For you are alive and you love us. And that is worth singing and savoring and living for. Pray all this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit that in all the cares and occupations of our life, we may not forget you. But remember that we are ever walking in your sight through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Go in peace.